following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Medical resources have been remarkably advanced and available in our day. Many diseases which were not treatable, not even knowable decades ago, are now accurately diagnosed and even effectively treated. And this is indeed a very huge blessing from the Lord, isn't it? However, with so many medical resources available, it's easy for us to focus on finding effective treatments while neglecting what illness is meant by the Lord to teach us. And certainly, illness is never a good thing in and of itself because illness is indeed a consequence from the fall of all mankind. And yet, our almighty and all-wise God often uses our physical illnesses to teach us something about the gospel. The Bible is full of such examples. In our text this evening, we will see how Jesus used the paralysis, a hopeless illness, to teach us his divine authority to forgive our sin. So let me ask you this evening, how do you view your physical illness? And how do you view the physical illness of your beloved ones? Does your physical illness drive you to think more deeply about your spiritual illness, that is your sin? Does your illness drive you to think more about the spiritual cure, which is the forgiving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? How do you pray for your beloved ones? Are you concerned primarily about their physical welfare and not their spiritual welfare? So what I want to like to show you from this text is this. You need Jesus' forgiving authority as a greater healing for a greater disease. You need Jesus' forgiving authority as a greater healing for a greater disease. Consider this text with me under two headings. First of all, Jesus exercised his authority to heal your greater disease. And second, Jesus demonstrates his authority to be the greater healing. So first of all, Jesus exercises his forgiving authority for your greater disease. In chapter 1, our context, Jesus became very well-known and popular because of his miracles. We are told in chapter 1, verses 23, 27 and 28, after Jesus cast out an unclean spirit, people were amazed. And we read, immediately the news about him, Jesus, spread everywhere into the surrounding district of Galilee. So more and more people were attracted to seek Jesus' healing. As we are told in chapter 1, verse 36, Jesus' disciples reported to him, Everyone is looking for you. But notice here, Jesus made it unmistakably clear that his main mission was to preach the gospel rather than healing the sick. We are told in chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus refused 
to stop in the same place to heal everyone who came for healing. Rather, Jesus said in verse 38, chapter 1, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach here also, for that is what I came for. Do you hear that? This is Jesus' stated agenda for him to come to this earth. He came to the world primarily to preach the gospel and eventually to embody and fulfill the gospel by his life, death, and resurrection. Then we must ask the question, why did Jesus perform miracles? It's important for us to understand the purpose for Jesus' miracles in the Bible. So miracles or signs and wonders were only a means to testify Jesus' person and message, as we are told in John chapter 20, verse 31. Here we read in John 20, verse 31, but this, referring to Jesus' miracles, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. In other words, the main purpose for Jesus' miracles was to testify for Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who alone could save sinners from their sin. For this reason, we are told in Mark 1:44, after Jesus healed the man from leprosy, he even commanded this man not to tell anyone about the healing miracle. Why was that? It is because Jesus did not want to attract those who wanted nothing but Jesus hearing miracles without any interest in his message. But this man, we are told, instead of obeying Jesus' command, he went out and spread the news of the miracle everywhere. As a result, Jesus could no longer publicly enter the city, but he had to remain outside of the city, as we are told in chapter 1, verse 45. So having set the context, let us come back to our text, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus came back, from his ministry trip to Capernaum, as we are told in chapter 2, verse 1. Many people still found him. In some ways, they still found him, and they crowded into the house where Jesus was. So many people came to this house that there's no more room for people to get in, as we are told in verse 2, chapter 2. And this crowd it's likely a mixture of people with various motivations and expectations. Certainly, there would be those who came to Jesus by genuine faith for his help and his teaching. And there would also be those who came to Jesus only out of curiosity or self-interest. And there were certainly those unbelieving Jews who came with hostility and jealousy against Jesus, as we shall see in a moment. But here is the point. Regardless of their motivation, we are told at the end of verse 2 that Jesus was speaking the word to them. And the word here refers to nothing less than the gospel message. As we are told in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, that Jesus was preaching the gospel of God and calling sinners to repent and believe in the gospel. He was speaking the word of the gospel to these people. Jesus was fully 
aware of his primary mission on earth, namely to preach the gospel and eventually to fulfill the gospel by his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus also knew what people needed most was the forgiveness of their sin by God's grace so as for them to be reconciled and commune with God. And the means to be forgiven is through the hearing and believing of the word of the gospel. So let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. What do you expect, first and foremost, from the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you need? What do you think you need most from the Lord Jesus Christ? In fact, what you need most is Jesus' word that brings you daily forgiveness and cleansing of your sin. We sin daily in our words, thoughts, and deeds. And sometimes we sin very grievously and badly, don't we? You need nothing less than Jesus' forgiving grace daily in your Christian walk. Is that what you expect most from the Lord Jesus? Let me encourage you anytime you can hear the word of God from the reading of the word, but especially from the preaching of the word. Make the best use of it. Let the word of Jesus' forgiving grace convict you of your sin, cleanse you from your sin, and bring you to true repentance and the peace of conscience, which is possible only in the blood of Jesus. Now, in verses 3 through 5, we will see that Jesus not only proclaimed the message of forgiveness, but he also exercised his authority to forgive sinners. So look at verse 3 with me. We see there was a paralytic. This man, being a paralytic, he could not move any part of his body below the neck. He could not provide and care for himself. He was confined to his own bed, and as a result, his body would have been suffering so many bad sources. So humanly speaking, he was helpless, hopeless, and miserable. But this man, notice he had four faithful friends who cared about him so much that they were willing to carry him all the way to see Jesus. And remember, in their day, they did not have cars, nor did they have ambulances. No, they walked by foot while carrying their paralytic friend lying on a heavy wood-made pallet. So they must have been very, they must have been sweating, thirsty, and out of breath. What is worse, they would have been very disappointed when they finally got to the house where Jesus was speaking. Because this house was so crowded that there was no more room for anyone else to squeeze in that alone their paralytic friend lying on a pallet. But they just wouldn't give up. They just would not give up. We are told in verse 4 that they removed the roof and dug a hole so that they could bring their friend down all the way to Jesus. So just for your information, in Jesus' day, a typical roof was not like ours today. In Jesus' day, a typical roof was flat, structured by wooden sticks, and covered by thatch and, and dry dirt. 
and there was usually a staircase outside of the house toward the roof. So it's more like a, a deck where people could eat, enjoy fresh air, dry their laundry, and they could even pray as the Apostle Peter did in Acts 10. So it is easy to install and repair by hand. So it is unlike our roofs today, which would cost thousands of dollars to, to repair. So now these four men finally dug a hole and let down their friend, the pallet of their friend. So their hands and clothes would have been full of mud and thatch. And the air in the house would have been full of dust and fragments of thatch. And pieces of wood, thatch, and mud would have fallen on the heads of those people sitting in the house, Jesus included. And those in the house would have been very much bothered and even offended by their action. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. We are told in verse 5, instead of being angry or upset, Jesus saw their faith because he's the second person of the omniscient God. Well, now you might think, wait a minute, tear down the roof? Dig a hole on the roof? What kind of faith can it ever be? Notice that in the Bible, true faith is always expressed and proven by actions. True faith is always expressed and proven by actions. The first readers of this text would have thought of many Old Testament examples of faith. For example, by faith, Rahab rescued the spies, as we are told in the book of Joshua. Another example, by faith, Abraham offered Isaac. So these four men, or like these Old Testament examples, they were simply believing in Jesus as the all-powerful and merciful Messiah. And their faith led to their relentless action to bring their hopeless friend to the Lord Jesus who alone could give him hope. They took the risk of offending others and they endured all the physical tiredness, not only because they loved their friend, which they did, of course, but more importantly, also because they trusted in the Lord Jesus and his power. And Jesus, as the second person of God, knew their heart. And here Jesus clearly affirmed their faith and their action which flow from their faith. They might come to Jesus in the beginning mainly because they wanted Jesus to heal their friend. But nevertheless, they came to Jesus with genuine faith in Jesus. In other words, their desire and their approach for Jesus to heal their friend already presupposed their faith in the Lord Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus also expressed by action? Or do you merely talk about doctrines about Jesus while you lack faith in Jesus? Is your faith working out through the love for your neighbors and your fellow believers? Does your faith in Jesus cause you to pray for and encourage your unbelieving friends to come to Jesus for salvation? Does your faith in Jesus cause you 
to pray for and encourage your believing friends to draw closer to Jesus for all that they need. Is that your faith? No doubt, the friends of this paralytic brought their friend to Jesus for healing, and they did so by faith. But now notice, how did Jesus respond to their faith? Strikingly, instead of healing him immediately, we are told in verse 5, Jesus simply said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, now you might think, well, Jesus' response was somehow irrelevant. Because after all, what they would expect Jesus to do was physical healing of the paralysis. Why in the world did Jesus respond to them with such statement rather than immediately healing him? How are we to understand Jesus' response here? Well, some people would say that that's because this man got paralyzed because of his particular sins. But this text simply doesn't tell us whether the man's illness was due to his particular sin or not, so we shouldn't speculate here. But Jesus' point was clear. His point was to emphasize the contrast between physical healing and spiritual healing, which is the forgiveness of sin. The spiritual healing, that is the forgiveness of sin, is infinitely more important, is infinitely more valuable than physical healing. Think about this. Physical healing is only temporary in this life because you will get sick again and again, and eventually you will die physically, whether by illness or by injury. But on the other hand, spiritual healing of sin is everlasting. Because for, for all true believers, Jesus has paid the penalty of all their sins without exception. And they have been perpetually, permanently, and perfectly free from God's condemning wrath. God will never take back His forgiving grace from all those who truly place their faith in the Lord Jesus. Again, the contrast between spiritual and physical healing. Physical healing does not bring anyone near to God. In fact, you can see and even name lots of unbelievers who are physically healthy and yet spiritually dead to God with nothing but hostility against God. But on the other hand, spiritual healing does bring believers to God because with the assurance of forgiveness, believers will come to God's throne of grace with confidence and joy. So here's the bottom line. No matter how healthy we are in this life, without Jesus' spiritual healing of our sin, we will suffer eternal punishment in hell. And nothing is more miserable than that. The worst of physical illness cannot be worse than eternal punishment in hell. And our need for physical healing should not downplay our need for spiritual healing. Rather, our need and desire for physical healing should always be a vivid reminder of our greater problem, that is our sin. 
And it should always be a reminder as well for our greater healing, that is the forgiving grace and cleansing grace of the Lord Jesus. It is because every physical illness is a consequence of the fall of mankind in Adam. As a result, every physical illness should make us think more about our sin estate. As we are told in our Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 19, that because of our fall with Adam, we are all liable to all the miseries of this life and to death itself. No doubt, every physical illness is part of the miseries in this life and this should draw us to think about the very source of our misery, that is our sin problem. Notice here, Jesus did not only announce forgiveness, but he actually exercised forgiveness for this man by his divine authority. How do we know that? In verses 6 and 7, the scribes perceived Jesus to claim the authority of forgiving sins. And Jesus not only did not deny this claim, but we are told in verse 10, he went further to prove his divine authority to forgive sin by healing this paralytic man. So when Jesus called this man son, he was showing intimacy, in intimacy, acceptance, and tenderness, and favor to this man who had been forgiven by Jesus' authority. Do you, brothers and sisters, struggle with the guilt of sin? so much so that you don't even dare to draw near to God. Let me encourage you this evening, bring your sins, all of your sins which are known to you, bring all of them to Jesus. Not presumptuously, of course, but humbly, dependently, and repentantly. And hear Jesus' gracious word to you, son and daughter, of course, your sins are forgiven, just as this paralytic man has just experienced. That experience is for you as well, so long as you place your faith in Jesus. Draw near to God with a clean conscience and assurance of pardon by the blood of Jesus. We have seen how Jesus proclaimed and exercised his power to forgive sin. But now, Jesus was facing hostility. His authority to forgive sins would be denied. So this text goes on to show us how Jesus demonstrated his forgiving authority in a way that is undeniable. This brings us to the second point of the text. Jesus demonstrates his authority as a greater healing. So look at verses 6 and 7. We are told some of the scribes heard Jesus saying to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then they were secretly in their hearts accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And look at their reasoning in verse 7. They were saying in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So here, they got something right, but they also got something wrong. They rightly understood Jesus' claim. Yes, Jesus claimed nothing less than the divine authority to forgive sin. 
They also rightly believe that God alone could forgive sin. But here's their problem. They presupposed wrongly that Jesus was not God. And by this presupposition, they condemned Jesus to be blasphemous. In their mind, in other words, since Jesus was a mere man and not God, how dare he attribute to himself a divine act which God alone could exercise? These scribes, they were strictly trained to be the teachers of the Old Testament scripture. And the whole Old Testament scripture testifies nothing less than the Jesus. As Jesus says in John 5, 39, so these scribes should have been among the first ones who welcomed Jesus as the promised Messiah. And yet, not only did they not welcome Jesus with the least respect, but they were also blatantly hostile to Jesus. This is very ironic, isn't it? Those who study the scripture very hard could at the same time be the farthest ones from the Lord Jesus with nothing but hostility. Is that you, brothers and sisters? Does your knowledge of the scripture bring you closer to Jesus with more faith, love, and respect? Or does your knowledge of the scripture make you prideful, presumptuous, and complacent, thinking that, well, I'm sufficient, I don't need anything else? Now, Jesus according to his divine nature, he knew what, were, what they were thinking in their hearts. So Jesus here exposed their evil thoughts by asking a question in verse 9. Look at verse 9 very carefully. Jesus said, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. So, which is easier? That's the question. Which is easier? Notice, Jesus was not asking which work was easier to do. No, that's not what he was asking. And obviously, to perform miracles would be easier than to forgive sins because forgiveness would require Jesus' atoning death. So, what Jesus was really asking here was which Work is easier to say, which is easier to say. That's what he's asking. It is easier to say your sins are forgiven because forgiveness of sin is an invisible act and no one is able to prove or disapprove by sin. On the other hand, it is more difficult to say to a paralytic, get up and take your pallet because the result of it is visible and thus immediately verifiable. So here Jesus, what he was doing is he was conceding to their to the scribes' carnal presupposition for the sake of argument. Not that he agreed with them, no, but he was simply trying to answer the fool according to their folly. And here is their folly. They only believe what they could see with their eyes. And they, so they would not believe Jesus' word of forgiving authority because they couldn't see. But they would happily believe Jesus' miracles because that's something they could see with their eyes and they could not deny it. So Jesus was essentially saying, 
if you think forgiving sin is easier than healing the sick, then now I'm going to do what you think is easier, that is to heal this man, so that you have no excuse to disbelieve my authority to forgive sins. So Jesus said in verses 10 and 11, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned around and said to the paralytic in verse 11, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Immediately, Jesus' divine power brought a thorough cure to this paralytic man. And we are told in verse 12, and he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. Jesus powerfully repaired all the damaged nerves and spine and restored all the withered muscle and twisted limbs. No surgery, no recovery, no rehabilitation whatsoever was needed. This healing was a pure supernatural work above all human means. This man not only stood up, but also gained full strength to pick up the heavy wooden pellet and walk out in front of everyone. Notice that Jesus' healing was not partial, but complete, but not gradual, but immediate, right after he spoke the word to heal him. And the result was, as we are told in verse 12, that this crowd were all amazed and were all glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. They were utterly astounded by what Jesus did. Because Jesus' healing was so obvious, striking, and undeniable to everyone present. Now, we need to think about a question. What is the purpose for Jesus' healing miracle here for this paralytic, paralytic man? The answer is in verse 10. Look at verse 10 very carefully with me. Verse 10, so right before Jesus exercised the healing by speaking to him, Jesus actually stated the main purpose for this healing miracle. The purpose was not to satisfy their curiosity. The purpose was not to attract the crowd. And the purpose was not even to bring temporal relief, at least not primarily, but rather, according to verse 10, the purpose of this miracle is so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, Jesus' miracle was meant to attest his identity and his work as a savior. The title, Son of Man, which might be familiar to some of you, is found in Daniel, the Old Testament prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where God promises to give the Son of Man an everlasting dominion and kingdom where all peoples of all nations and all languages will serve him. And Jesus was the promised Messiah. He was the promised Son of Man, the long-awaited Messiah, who has the power to subdue sinners of all nations to his dominion and to bring them into his everlasting kingdom. And the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin, which is also demonstrated here by Jesus' healing miracle. In the Old Testament, 
the language of healing is sometimes used as a picture of God's forgiving of sin. For example, Hosea 14, verse 4, as we just read a moment ago, God says to his people, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. As well, in Psalm 41, verse 4, we are, we are told, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul. Again, you see the same language, for I have sinned against you. Clearly, healing symbolizes God's act of forgiveness of sin and the removal of divine wrath. And forgiveness of sin is absolutely essential for the Son of Man to build up his own kingdom. Why? It is because without sinners being forgiven, they not only cannot enter the kingdom of God, but they will be destroyed by the powerful and holy king without any hope. So by this healing miracle, Jesus was demonstrating his identity as the promised Son of Man and the Anointed One who is endowed with the authority to forgive the sin of his people on earth. How do we apply this text? Let me give you four applications which flow from this text. First of all, we have seen that Jesus chose to exercise forgiveness for this paralytic man even before he exercised a healing miracle because Jesus valued spiritual healing more than physical healing. Even when he performed this healing miracle, the purpose was to testify for him as the Son of Man who alone could forgive sins on earth by virtue of his obedience and sacrifice. So let me ask you this. Do you share the same high view on the forgiving grace, the most precious spiritual healing purchased by Jesus' blood grounded on God's unchangeable love? Do you have the same high view on the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus? Or do you so occupied by the desire for physical healing, so much so that you neglect the spiritual healing of sin, which is even more needed. Of course, there's nothing wrong for you to desire and to pray for physical healing, but never let your desire for physical healing to be the dominant concern in your Christian life. Rather, let your physical illness always reminds you that you have a much worse problem that is your sin problem which needs a much greater healing that is the pardoning and cleansing of your sins daily by Jesus and his precious blood. The second application, how do you pray for those whom you deeply love? Your parents, your spouses, your children, grandchildren, your dear close friends? What is your primary concern for them? What is your main prayers for them? If they are unbelievers, let me ask you, do you ever desire and pray for their conversion so that they may be forgiven and accepted by God, which is the most invaluable and everlasting spiritual healing? If they are believers, do you ever desire and pray for them 
that they would experience God's forgiveness and cleansing by sincerely confessing and repenting of their sins? Or do you simply want them to be physically prosperous and healthy, but you hardly ever have any concern for their spiritual well-being? A third application, there are those of you who have been through long-term physical illness for years and even decades, and God's providence may seem to have you endure such illness for the rest of your life. But I want to encourage you, do not despair. Do not despair if that's your case. Remember and rejoice that Jesus has conquered your greater illness by a greater healing. That is total forgiveness of your sin by his perfect obedience and his sacrifice on the cross on your behalf. Because you have been forgiven in Jesus' blood, your physical suffering is no longer a curse against you, but rather God's loving hands working at your life for your sanctification, which is your chief good on this earth. Think about Lazarus and the rich man, the parable in Luke 16. Although Lazarus was poor and sick in this life, yet he is infinitely more blessed with God's everlasting forgiving love than the rich man, though wealthy and prosperous in this life, yet suffering everlasting torment in hell even now. Which one is more blessed? A fourth application. For those of you who only want to think and talk about physical healing and yet do not have the least interest in Jesus' spiritual healing, forgiving grace, this text should be a very sober warning for you. Do you approach Jesus by faith, not only for his power to heal your physical illness, but also for his power? to heal you spiritually, just like this paralytic man has experienced? Or do you despise Jesus for his claim to forgive sin, just like the scribes, because you don't see or touch the forgiving authority of Jesus? No matter how many illnesses are healed, if you do not receive his spiritual healing for your sin, then you will perish forever, and you will be more miserable than the most ill person who is a believer forgiven by Jesus. So repent today if that's your case, and believe in the Lord Jesus today for an everlasting spiritual healing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.